0: it's gilbert gottfried welcome to behind the scenes with brian your go-to podcast on old things mining
1: welcome to behind the scenes with brian the podcast covering everything from engineering mining and mine waste management to whatever else may be on our minds. Pop in your headphones and don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share. And now, here is your host, Brian Ulrich. Hey everyone, this is Brian, and this is Behind the Scenes with Brian. And today I am joined by Professor David Williams from the University of Queensland in Australia in a beautiful city of Brisbane, which I just love to visit when I can, like I used to in the old days before the pandemic. And David, how are you today? I'm good, Brian. Good, good, good. And uh, the school year must've been quite different for you. Did you have a lot of remote
0: classes? We're, in fact, we're still doing that. So they did. we did that most of last year. We're still doing, lectures like by zoom in fact our whole life is just zooming along um it's become a bit painful actually The you miss the face to face and you miss yeah. the transition going to sites or going to conferences and networking
1: oh for sure, all the way.
0: Yeah, for sure. it's difficult
1: yeah do you, do you think we're going to retain some of the practices that we've had to engage in the last year
0: with uh, the yeah i think certainly yeah some of that is here to stay i mean i I did a zoom just yesterday to an audience in peru i was part of a a little um, seminar yeah 1100 people were on the Zoom. oh my gosh and you know they ran for about two hours you you could not do that any other way you're not going to travel to peru to attend a two-hour seminar
1: no exactly i had a similar experience i was uh it was just a few months ago, and, and like you say, there's no way I'm flying to Lima for, for a talk. Exactly. Yeah, no, exactly. Okay. Well, David, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background,
0: your education. Mm-hmm. So I grew up in Melbourne, uh, south of here, or uh, oh, 20 hours driving or uh, two hours flying, and um, went to university there. I did civil engineering, I specialised in geotechnical. Um, I I was actually bonded to the Road Authority down there, so I started work with them initially. That didn't really thrill me all that much. (laughs) I was looking for other opportunities and uh, I sought an opportunity to do a PhD Mm. and uh, I needed financial support. I was lucky enough to get a Commonwealth scholarship and I went to the UK, uh, went to Cambridge, Mm. did my PhD Came back from there, there were actually a few opportunities while I was there, because a place like Cambridge attracts a lot of visitors, and offers yeah. an opportunity to, to you know, look for new opportunities. But anyway, I didn't take them up, came back, worked very briefly with the road authority, but knew I wasn't going to stay, and uh, was uh, interviewed by Golder mm-hmm. and worked for them for about three years, a year and a half in Melbourne, then they shifted me to Brisbane, and then we had a, this was uh, 81, 82, we had a bit of a downturn. Yeah. They wanted to shift me again to Sydney and we just bought a house in Brisbane.
1: So mm. mm-hmm.
0: at that time, Brisbane was a bit like a big country town, much different now. And uh, the cost of housing in Brisbane was about a quarter the cost of housing in Sydney. Oh my gosh. So moving to Sydney really wasn't an option. So I noted that there was a position vacant at the University of Queensland. I had a chat with them. I did it part time for one semester. That was okay, and that was 38 years ago. <laughs> I've been at the university ever since. But I regard myself as a as a, an engineer first, academic second. And it's mm-hmm. the contact with the industry that's kept my interest not so much the contact with academia, although you know, obviously I relate to other academics, but the ones I tend to associate with are people like me, people who have a a strong industry connection. Mm -hmm. And for most of my career, I've worked in mine waste. So I started that with Golda, working on things like spoil piles and coal and so on. Uh, Moved into uh, coal tailings, coal reject, uh, mixing the two together to pump them together. And then just branched out into every other commodity gold, uh, heavy metals, red mud, yeah. uh, mineral sands a little bit, uh, nickel laterite, mm-hmm. and it's, uh, it's been a fantastic career. It's taken me around the world, um, you know, obviously placed in, in the Americas, both North, North America and South America, but also into Southern Africa, um, not so much in, in Asia, but certainly everywhere around Australia, now that's been the history. And I'm in a position now where I'm I'm doing a bit of both. I'm still at the university, and I will be for another few years. But um, I'll transition to just consulting. And consulting has uh, evolved from third-party review to more getting more and more ITRB type work. Mm-hmm. Um, still do a bit of third-party review as well. So it's a, a fascinating. It's been a fascinating career, and it's um, it's been it's interesting that the. The consulting commissions and the work I do with industry has often led to the research I do. So it's actually Uh, prompted the research. Mm -hmm. So consulting is a short-term fix, but it sometimes identifies uh, bigger problems or longer-term problems, and they become your your research activity. And I think of it in terms of a sort of half-life and you can measure it in PhDs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) if If you have an applied idea, Um, You might work on it for a couple of PhDs, say eight (laughs) years or so, and uh, it'll then place you and the students uh, in a good position to transfer that to the industry, Um, so you might do that for a bit longer in, in a consulting type capacity, and then eventually, if it's a good idea, it'll be picked up by others in the industry. Yeah. So, by that time, you've gone on to another half life, you've gone on to something else. Mm-hmm. So the things I've worked on in particular have been uh, co disposal of, of coal washery waste. Yeah. About the 1990s, pumping the two together. Um, it was never optimized, but, you know, it was a, a technique used for a while. Then on to covers. And in the last 10 years or so, more tailings, more to do with tailings.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, the community of tailings uh, consultants is a pretty it's a tight-knit community
0: and we know each other
1: yeah yeah we i used to say when i was working with the consulting companies that we might be fierce competitors but we're also good friends
0: yeah yeah no no i found the same that um as you mentioned earlier before we started uh, when you do third-party review-type work or ITRB-type work, you're not directly competing with uh, consulting companies at all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Your role is more to help them, you know, to give them another perspective, to, you know, ask the what-if questions. Have you thought of this? Have you thought of something mm-hmm. else? Mm-hmm. Why are mm-hmm. you doing it this way? Actually, the, one of the most common answers to that question, why are you doing it this way, is it's the way we've always done it. Yeah, right. So, trying to shift uh, people's habits is actually very difficult it's yeah. one of the biggest barriers we have
1: yeah that that is for sure that's for sure but about how many different itrbs do you sit on right now well let's see
0: um right at the moment about four yeah
1: they have- about, yeah yeah
0: yeah, they have varying demands, so yeah uh, one is probably we only meet about twice a year. Yeah, well, two of them probably will meet about twice a year. Another one is uh, um, a limited term one because it's to do with um, addressing closure of a market. Mm-hmm. Um, so that won't you know that program will go on for maybe a couple of years and then it uh, it'll move hopefully into the closure phase. Yeah. Uh, another one, yeah. actually two of them about closure. Another one is also about closure, but very different. It might take a bit longer to close. It's got a few challenges. Um, yeah, so at the moment, um, two ongoing ones and two that are um, several years, shorter term.
1: Yeah, I, I found that the, the, the ITRB contracts tend to be multi-year things. They really want to have people engaged and you know retain that knowledge for some period of time which I, I, yeah, think I think is very useful
0: yeah well i think it takes a while to for the individual and, and the team to become familiar with the project and if you threw them out too early you'd have to do that all over again i think one thing we do the industry does need to do better is um, transition mentoring and transition yeah, yeah. Uh, or succession planning i don't think they do They've done that well in terms of ITRBs. They tend to, sometimes they will stick with the same old, same old too long without introducing some new blood. But, I mean, it's interesting uh, when I was invited along with a few others to be part of the Ramondino, um, mm. that investigation, Yeah, um, they described us as the new generation. <laughs> but we're all in our 60s <laughs> yeah. getting, so, some,
1: um, getting some young blood in there
0: yeah young blood but i think i think it does take you know what itrb the skills that an itrb member brings are, are their experience base yeah it's like rolling the memory tapes back yeah i've seen this before and this is what you might do so i think that's part of the role it's inevitable that itrb members will be more senior Different yeah. from, say, an engineer record more junior because they need a lot more energy to keep on top yeah. of the project.
1: Yeah, yeah. Did, did some of the boards you sit on, are they mostly made up of geotechnical engineers or do they tend to be from different backgrounds, geological engineers and hydrologists? Or what, what kind of mix do you find? Yeah.
0: Well, I, I've actually been involved in trying to help form boards too. So I've been asked, you know, who would you your particular range of facilities and i always look to well what are your problem areas Mm. hence what disciplines should you engage with yeah but very typically i mean if we're talking about tailings um you have to have someone with knowledge of water i mean Mm -hmm. you take away the water you take away the problem right So whether it's hydrology whether it's hydrogeology it's probably more likely hydrology or some you know it's near a surface it's not typically deep um so someone in the water field um obviously someone geotech uh, geotechnically orientated as well sometimes you might have an rtrb of say three people two might be geotech one might be uh, hydro of some sort um if amd is an issue you might introduce geochemistry so you might have a, if it's three people you might have three different disciplines that work together yeah usually as you say the tailings community is very small we know each other we usually know the associated people as well you know that whether the geochemists or the hydrologists we know a lot of those as well if you're in a seismic environment then you know have that person have a person to represent that discipline so if you're working in chile or Peru, make sure you've got someone with expertise in that area Um, geographical expertise is sometimes important hmm so, um, you know, if you, well, take an example of something like if you've never worked in the subtropics or the tropics before, you yeah. won't have come across laterites, for example. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, right.
0: Tropical soils. And yeah. the tailings that derive from those materials also tend to laterize or oxidise very quickly. You get cementation. Um, people from cooler climates won't have come across that. Mm-hmm. Well, they might they might not be looking for it they might not uh, realize that that might be an issue it could be positive or negative but it's important to know what it is um, right. so things. yeah
1: yeah similar for cold regions or if you exactly. work in semi arid you might not be accustomed to the the real wet areas
0: yeah, yeah. for example what do i know about permafrost yeah nothing yeah. <laughs> nothing much <laughs> You know, I've visited, you know, permafrost yeah, right. regions, but that's right. about all. Yeah. So, maybe. yeah. So, horses for courses, you should have the appropriate um, people. And I think the other thing that is often forgotten is that you've got to think about the setting of the site, which you can't control. So, the setting is the climate, yeah. the topography, which dictates often how big the dam might be and how much free storage you might have, and the seismicity. They're the three key site settings that yeah. you have mm-hmm. to deal with mm-hmm. so, so you look to a particular site and you say well which of those three is important which which of those three do we need to cater for in our itrb range yeah. of expertise um but i think it's also important to to have the the local knowledge too so sometimes you might, not, you might have a person who's not actually on the ITRB but helps advise the ITRB with a lot of expert regional knowledge. or knowledge
1: Yeah, local local codes and that sort of thing, right. Yeah, that, I agree.
0: But also site history, you know, someone who's got yeah. a... You now, if you're doing work on a... Like Candida is one of the ones I do. It's got a long history.
1: Yeah.
0: It's a very big operation. So it's very hard to capture everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. So it's helpful to have someone who's, who's got a bit of a longer history. And that's uh, often in the hands of a, a consultant who's worked to, for that site for a long time because the industry people will have moved on. You know, they have yeah. a three-year life yeah. and they go on to something else. Right, right. So uh, engaging with local consultants is often very important. You can, you can miss uh, critical issues because you simply don't have the history.
1: Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Very good point. And David, you recently just uh, put on a tailings training workshop, and I was involved with a similar one here in the U.S. And I was wondering how how yours went, how it was attended, and what you thought of it.
0: Yeah, I guess you're talking about the tailings management course. Yeah, yeah, there. yeah. So. You know, I've been thinking for a long time, how do you best cater for that need? First of all, you've got to recognise it's global. Yeah. So in any one centre, there won't be enough uh, people to, to cater for. So it's not going to work. So it's, pro- it's probably, you know, COVID has actually helped in a way to, to focus on how do we do online delivery better? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then you think about, well, do you do it through a university? I've been at a university for a long time or do you do it some other way? And there are some issues with universities. They're very, very bureaucratic. So it yeah. can take you years to get approval for a new course. Mm-hmm. And then often if you get it, you get no resources. So you have to do all the work yourself. Yeah. Now, I'm not a course platform developer. Mm-hmm. I can't maintain a course platform. I wouldn't even know where to start. <laughs> I don't want to do that. I want to provide content and assessment. So I look to what model might provide that. And uh, I turned to the Australasian Institute Institute of Mining and Metallurgy, which was a bit like your SME or the CIM in Canada. Yeah, They're they're our representative professional body. They're actually the group that accredit courses.
1: Oh, okay.
0: (laughs) So in a (laughs) a way, I was leaving out the middleman, which was the university. Um, And I went to them because they had experience giving a, a joke course Uh, If you look up those IMM, you'll see the the Jork course. That was the first one they did. And I I noted that they managed to get that up and running in about uh, less than six months, about four months or something. They used outside providers as they needed them. Mm -hmm. And uh, they used mainly in that case consultants to provide the the input or the content. Mm -hmm. So I went to them with a proposition to, you know, are you interested in running a, a global online Talents yeah. Management course. I wanted right. assessment as part of it. Mm-hmm. And the JORC course has assessment as well. And uh, they didn't take too much persuading. Hmm. So that was about May last year. By September, October, we had our first course. We had... Um, it was advertised primarily through the AusArMem website. We didn't go much beyond that. We had to close off registrations. We got to 110 and hmm. we're really in expect yeah we were, we were thinking we'd close it off at 100 but it went to about 110 we had yeah. 50 on the waiting list <laughs> so around the course um, now what was uh, I've actually had more fun giving this than I've had uh, giving undergraduate courses for years yeah yeah and the reason the reasons were well firstly there was a platform that someone else had developed that I just had mm-hmm. to feed material into Mm -hmm. it's still the material still goes in in the form of powerpoints but it's presented in some different way right and we had uh one of the key successes was we had a colleague of mine peter chapman out of goldren perth acting as sort of my two ic and he was on chat live so he was doing real-time chat throughout my 90-minute webinars Six webinars, one a week, ninety minutes each. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually followed by a tutorial for half an hour on the assessment side. And uh, we would start them off. We'd start. We get onto the platform about fifteen minutes before the start time and start chat already. Start chatting to them, literally on the chat, uh, asking them provocative questions to get them started. And then Peter would just, uh, while I was talking, he'd be running the chat the whole time. And we'd break up the uh, so instead of death by PowerPoint, you restrict the number of PowerPoint slides you have. Hmm. So what's mm-hmm. really important, uh-huh. you don't have, you know, you don't try and pack 120 slides into 90 minutes. You put maybe 60 in. Yeah. And you have breaks. And the breaks are chats. So you have specific chat questions. You might have half a dozen of those. So you have those breaks, but you have this ongoing chat, continuous chat going the whole time. And uh And it just worked brilliantly. And when you think about it, it's like going back to the way we used to teach, which was literally using a blackboard. I would put the notes on the blackboard. (laughs) Students would transcribe. So they were writing. And a lot of people learn by writing. They were writing, they were listening, they were watching. And if they were good at it, and it is a skill you have to develop, your notes become more than just transcribing because you pick up some of what's said and what you see as well if you're good at it. And I think it's a skill that students these days are, are lacking because it's death by PowerPoint. I mean, that's a great
1: minds point. Could be, Yeah, that's a great point.
0: Mines could, could be elsewhere. So um, so we re- reintroduced that effectively because we we had chat and they were watching and they were listening. So for me, giving it 90 minutes seemed like five minutes, just went in no time. It was so intense uh, uh, and so, so consuming. It's not like if you're doing death by PowerPoint, if you're giving it, um, you almost wonder whether there's any audience there at all. You know, are you just talking to yourself? You can almost bore yourself doing it.
1: Yeah, that's so, an, that, that's an amazing uh, observation yeah, yeah. about
0: so taking. To, uh, that's right. So to, to look at uh, what's happened in a lot of university courses, is we've gone from... Using a blackboard, we've gone through overhead transparencies. You would remember those. Yeah, yeah. We've gone then to eventually onto PowerPoint, and then eventually we started recording them. Mm-hmm. And our numbers of attendees drop off. So we're now down to thirty percent of the audience. Thirty percent of the students actually listen to it live, whether it's face to face or or online. Doesn't make any difference. Mm-hmm. Thirty percent. Yeah, yeah. And you think, oh, maybe the rest would be looking at it, uh, the recording. No, they don't. The only ones that look at the recording are some of the 30% that watch it who know they've missed something.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And they go back to the recording to pick it up. The others don't look at it. So many courses are now, if they're done in that fashion, are you have the PowerPoints, you have the past exam papers. That's your course. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, It's very ineffective. So anyway, so we ran it uh, first at 110, but rave reviews went really well. Hmm. Uh, The audience was about 60% Australasia and about 40% overseas. Not all the overseas people could make the time frame, so some of them had to look at the recording. We also produced chat log, so they had that. Um, And then we ran it again in February, March. We had 130 in the second round, about Hmm. 40 on the waiting list. So we're about to run it again in, in June. We're running it again and we'll run it again in October. So in the space of a year, we will have run it four times. We only wow. expect we do it every second. Uh, twice a year, we thought yeah. we'd do it. It's gonna yeah, be four.
1: but the demand's just so high.
0: Yeah, and it's 500. We'll have done it to about 500 people. Yeah. Now, they're almost all practicing people, whether they're on mine sites or in consultancies. Uh, they're not students. They're they're primarily people who are in practice already. So they're in, you know they're, they're wanting to learn something. It's interesting, in the second round, we thought, um, we had a few questions in the first round, could we do this without assessment? So hmm. in the second round, we offered it without assessment. Mm-hmm. And so few did it that way, 5% or less. Hmm. So we're not going to offer it that way again. We'll just keep yeah. the assessment. Yeah. I think the assessment is vital. It's it the engage. Hmm. It also means that their employers are prepared to pay for it. Yeah. They're getting a professional certificate at the end of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's like it's like what might be called, some universities are calling it uh, micro-credentialed courses. They're about half a normal course. And, and you could potentially down the track, uh, cobble these together into a graduate diploma or graduate.
1: Oh, master. yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah.
0: And yeah. yeah. yeah, now there are other offerings as well. Um, in the us they've got two university consortia who are offering short courses mm-hmm. uh, no assessment at this stage right. because it has to run the gauntlet of university approval yep yep <laughs> um Andy furry in uwa is uh is planning courses but nothing has come out of that yet and just before we started uh, or a couple of years before we started durkman eel at ubc introduced a graduate uh, certificate in mine waste management um unfortunately it hasn't attracted a lot of students and i think uh, interrupted by covid as well yeah. but also now interrupted by the fact that dirk has retired from the university <laughs> <laughs> right yeah so i don't know what its future will be but look i think uh, we need all of these you know prior to that we had virtually nothing in the tailing space well uh, mm-hmm.
1: we yeah need other than these. yeah other than conferences which is not the same thing
0: not the same thing and short courses are not the same thing yeah um and uh i think bring them all on and the market will decide which ones they like best and they'll be the ones that assist. yep but um i'm I'm quite excited about it i think it's uh it's an opportunity to you know to uh, package up uh expertise that's been gained over a large number of years and and Present that. It's it's not about making them into an instant tailings expert. No, nope. it's about creating awareness.
1: I, exactly.
0: These are the important issues. Um, these are some directions you might head in to get answers. Um, it, it's that sort of thing. Get them to think. Critical thinking. Uh, don't think take things for granted. Um, add value. How do you add value? What is the bigger picture? It's not just tailings. You know, it's a yeah. part of a. An overall mining scheme, so i have really enjoyed it. Um, so I'll, I'll continue doing it, and we're thinking of other courses that might be directed at other specific groups, like uh, senior executives in mining companies, for example. Maybe we do one. The course we've offered is um, fairly broad, so it's it's geotech, it's gechem and water, it's. Uh, it's fundamentals of tailings, it's governance, it's a bit on yeah. the social yeah. side, social aspects that other people contribute to. Uh, we have thought about, and we'll probably wait for a while, but we may do something specific in the geotech design side mm-hmm. of, and uh, mm-hmm. just offer a, a course just on that. But uh, we're just waiting to see how the market shapes are. We look at the, the figures that come in, the stats, and it gives you an idea of where people are coming from, what they might want. Good fun
1: yeah i suppose you do have to consider kind of the supply and demand side of it you you might really want to have an advanced course but if there isn't enough call for it then exactly you know, if only 15 people sign up for it then that's a lot of energy put into very little outcome yeah
0: not viable yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Well, yeah, David, I'm, yeah i know you've got a hard stop coming up here and i'd love to talk to you for longer but uh you know it's been it's been really interesting catching up with you and seeing what you've been up to and, and uh, comparing notes is there any key takeaways or pearls of wisdom that you could leave us with
0: yeah. well i think the the one encouraging thing is we can do tailings better yeah yeah you know, there are techniques available we can yeah. make a much more robust dam if we want yeah. to
1: yeah
0: uh, so it's, it's how do we go about doing that And, you know, the idea of uh, making use of the materials that come out of the mine in a better way and it can still be cost-effective. Let's make a robust dam, you know, not something that's marginal, not something that, um, because the ones that fail are marginally stable. Yeah. There are many that don't fail. So there are many that we are doing well. Let's do them all well, you know. Yeah. And uh, you could cost-effectively make use of waste materials coming out of the mine to add a buttress cost-effectively. It might even be a shorter haul. Maybe it changes uh, yeah, the it way be we a, arrange.
1: Yeah, it could be a downhill right. haul, too.
0: Yeah, it could even be downhill. But you could change the way we uh, sort of lay out the operation, Yeah, the best suit, um, making sure that we have stability. And, you know, we need to make much more serious consideration of closure. Yeah. You know, what, what are we going to leave afterwards? Because there are right. just too many cases where this is not done well. You know, we, we can't get to a better outcome with, by doing the same thing over and over again. True, we have to, true. We have to change. So yeah. It's not just about governance, it's about uh, engineering resilience. Yeah. We have to, and quoting uh, Andy Robertson, you know, apply engineering resilience because that will address the liability or the or the safety aspects of uh, You know, we, we're supposed to be creating safe, stable, non-polluting, structures and leaving them in perpetuity Uh, we've got to take that more seriously i think it's not just about uh, documentation and governance it's about changing the way we do things and we've got the tools
1: yeah yeah and and like you just said you know staging your resources you might plan on building a buttress in year 5 or 10 or 15 and maybe you don't need it maybe it's not geotechnically required but who cares it's going to make it more robust
0: yeah and maybe it's uh part of your closure plan anyway that you would yeah you're getting material anyway yeah
1: overall slope flattening yeah perfect yeah well david i appreciate your time i know you've got a hard stop but uh really appreciate you coming on here and look forward to the day where we can sit down and and, uh have a beer together again
0: yeah looking forward to it too as well well thanks brian and Let's have another chat at some future time.
1: Absolutely. I appreciate your time.
0: Thanks, Brian.
1: Well, that's it. I'm Brian, and this is Behind the Scenes with Brian. Until next time, keep on rocking.